Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, please. The sign of the covenant, cross-centered living in a self-centered world. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Chapter 12 will come right after chapter 11 and right before chapter 13. It's here to serve you guys. Some of you I know were in remedial reading classes and like me. And uh, All right, Exodus 12, 43. Here we go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. Ouch. Nor for, no foreigner. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hey, I got good news and bad news. You get to eat today. It's the good news. Bad news is we're going to have to circumcise you. Whoa. <laughs> Verse 45, but no foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Now, that's speaking of the lamb, which comprises the meal of the Passover. Okay, The sacrificial lamb. So it's talking about the lamb. You can't break its bones. All the congregation, verse 37, of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn or hang out with you, sojourn is a fancy word for just hanging out with you, with you, and would keep the Passover of the Lord, if they want to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. It's another good, good news, bad news joke right there. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Verse 49. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they obeyed God fully right there. And then verse 51, the key verse here. And on that very day, which we find out later, is the day that the Jewish calendar begins. You understand that? God reordered the Jewish calendar and said, this is now going to be the first calendar, the first month of the year, the month of Abib. No longer is your calendar going to be as it was before, but today, new beginnings, new calendar. New beginnings, new calendar. Wow, exciting. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Verse 1 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, second command now. First one is to commemorate, which we find in verse 43. Second commandment now, consecrate in verse 2 of chapter 13. Consecrate. To me, all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Interesting statement there. Well, let's pray and let's get into what is God saying, both here, original author, original audience, and to us today as we read this. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this word. May you give me an anointing that would serve your church as you build it, and give my friends an anointing to hear with understanding and with faith to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. In San Antonio, Texas, this weekend you'll find an American institution. It's called the Final Four. For those of you who are sports fans, that's where the best college basketball teams in the nation gather. There's four of them, Final Four. And um, they play for the championship, the national championship. Last night, two teams got to play in that championship game, which will take place tomorrow night. Memphis and 
Kansas. But I want to talk to you about something that happened in San Antonio, Texas some 130 years ago. And that's something called the Alamo. The Alamo. Remember the Alamo. And I want to tell you that the Alamo was a Spanish mission. After Mexico won her independence from Spain, Texans wanted to be liberated from Mexico and join the United States. When they declared their independence, the Alamo went from mission to fortress. And if you've ever been in San Antonio and seen the Alamo, it's not impressive. It's tiny. It looks like a little church. I'm thinking, that's the Alamo? It, it really is small. It was a Spanish mission, but it went from mission to fortress. And Texans took their stand within her walls. The Mexican dictator, Santiana, marched toward the Alamo to crush the rebellion. Only 188 men were inside, but they included such legendary figures as Davy Crockett and Sam Bowie. These men held off nearly 4,000 Mexican troops for almost two weeks. But there is another side of this story that many don't know. The men of the Alamo knew the odds they were fighting against. Their leader, Colonel William Barrett Travis, gathered them together and told them they had a choice. Now listen carefully. They could leave the fort while there was still time, or they could stay and meet certain death. Then Travis unsheathed his sword, drew a line in the ground, and said these words, quote, Those prepared to give their lives in freedom's cause come over to me. Without hesitation, every man except one which is how we know the story, crossed the line. Colonel James Bowie, inventor of the Bowie knife, was ill with typhoid pneumonia and couldn't walk across the line, but he asked for his bed to be carried over the line. That always affects me. Uh, Okay. All 188 men were eventually killed. But... Their resistance of two weeks gave Texas time to assemble an army that would eventually defeat Mexico and give Texas her independence. And the battle cry during that subsequent war was, remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. Well, this morning, I want to issue a battle cry. Remember the Alamo. But the Alamo that we're talking about today wasn't a very heroic, by the way, picture that we just heard, but the most heroic thing that anyone ever did, the most heroic giving of one's life for a freedom that isn't just a country being born or a state being born, but it's freedom for you and I to be born again as Christians. The Alamo I'm talking about was foreshadowed by the very text we're reading, Passover. The Alamo I'm talking about really points to Christ dying on the cross so that you and I might be saved from the wrath of God and saved to the promise of eternal life with God. This morning's message really is about two things. Reading in your notes, we are to commemorate God's deliverance and consecrate ourselves to him. So hear God saying to you this morning in this text as we go through it line by line, verse by verse, commemorate my deliverance of you and consecrate yourself to me. Oh, the men at the Alamo certainly did give their lives. They were consecrated in that sense. And the subsequent battle that took place, 
the troops that I'm sure many of them died and consecrated themselves to win Texas its freedom, they commemorated the Alamo, and then they consecrated themselves to battle. And so do we this morning commemorate or remember not just what happened when Egypt, when Israel was delivered from Egypt and that sacrificial lamb was, was slain and eaten, which is the Passover, which Jews today commemorate every year. But, oh, we commemorate the Lamb of God who was crucified on a cross so that we might go free. Egypt is a picture of the world. Pharaoh was a picture of Satan. And the Lamb is a picture of Christ. And we are Israel, God's people, delivered. Set free. So that we might consecrate ourselves to live for him who died for us. Oh my. Well, look at verse 43. Would you with me? God commands his people to remember or commemorate their deliverance through the statue of the Passover meal. You see that? And then in chapter 13, verse 2, he commands them to consecrate themselves to him. God's command to commemorate and consecrate are based upon the redemptive act of deliverance from Egypt. The fulcrum... The the, the center point of this passage upon which everything else moves is verse 51. On that very day, God delivered Israel from Egypt. That's the fulcrum. This is the point of deliverance. So we remember and we consecrate ourselves to God. Remember what he did, delivering me from bondage, and then consecrate myself to God because of that truth. So the two main sections... We look at is chapter 12, verses 43 to 50. That's the first section, commemorate. And then chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, consecrate. And right in the middle is the redemptive act of deliverance. God delivered Israel. And that's what you see in your notes. God delivered Israel from Egypt. We always begin, folks, with what God did for his people. We always begin with that. And that is why in verse 51 of chapter 12, we learn that on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of bondage. Again, reading from your notes, it was on that day that God constituted Israel as a nation by delivering them from Egypt. And how did he do that? Well, he passed over Israel's firstborn on that terrible night and killed all the firstborn of Egypt. And the reason he passed over Israel, the fulcrum, is the lamb that was slain, whose blood was painted on the doorpost so that as the Israelis huddled inside their homes and they could hear the horrible screeches and terror as child after child, the firstborn of Egypt died, everybody that wasn't under the blood of Christ, under the blood of the lamb, died. Because God was, was serious about judgment. Corey preached this so well several weeks ago. Everybody was in the ring. Everybody was before God. Everybody decided, deserved to die, including the Jews. But God had mercy on whom he would have mercy. And he said, take the blood and put it on the doorpost. So that's what they were commemorating. And God said, if you read earlier in chapter 12, Israel, from now on, the first month of your calendar is no longer what it was. It's this month, the month of Abib. And this is when your life starts. This is when I constitute you as a nation. And so, like Israel in Egypt, Christ Jesus 
He's the true Lamb of God. And for us, the day he saved us is the day our calendar starts. It's the day you were born again. And if you're here today and you've never been born again, oh, if you're, if you're a teen here and your parents have been born again, you're not quite sure. Let me tell you something. Your calendar has to start again. Every man, every woman must be born twice. First, naturally. But then be born again, not of man and his will, but of God and his will. And we celebrate our new life. Our calendar starts the day we were born again. Amen? That's great truth. That'll put a smile on your face. No matter how high your insurance payments go. Eh, Maybe not, I don't know. Next. They were to commemorate God's deliverance. See that in your notes? They were to commemorate God's deliverance. Verses 43 through 51, God commands his people, hey, commemorate my deliverance by eating the Passover meal. And then there were very strict rules on who could eat the Passover meal. And here's the deal. You could only eat the Passover meal if you had the sign of the covenant. Hence the title of the message today, the sign of the covenant. And as John Enzor so aptly put last week, it was a sign perhaps most of us men would not have chosen. It was the sign of circumcision. Ouch. You're either in or out. Do you have the sign? Now, in the New Testament, we know that this circumcision wasn't just to be a physical thing, but it was a foreshadowing. Just like the Old Testament, it's always a foreshadowing. In the New Testament, God wants to change my heart. And now the circumcision isn't one physically. It's no longer a law for us as Christians. No, no, it's one spiritually. Has God cut away that flesh in your heart and given you a new heart and a new life? That's what it's talking about. That's the sign of the covenant. When we baptize people, what we're doing is we're saying, I have a new life, right? I go down in the water, and my calendar today, whoom, new calendar. Israel goes through the water, the Red Sea, whoom, comes through, new day, new people. You're my people. Are they perfect? Well, of course not. Anybody who's ever seen the Ten Commandments know that they sinned all over the place, right? Always weird how they threw stuff in that fire and out jumped two golden calves, you know. We're not perfect, but we're God's people. We're God's people. Reading from your notes. The Passover meal was made a statute for all generations to remember God's deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. You see, the Passover meal is to be celebrated every year according to the Jewish law to, to commemorate, commemorate, remember the Alamo commemorate. We're in a battle. We're God's people. As a matter of fact, Israel, when this was written, Israel was in a desert, two million people without very many weapons, going in to take a land of giants with serious weapons. And as they're moving to take the battle, this is original author, original audience, original context. As they're moving in to take the land of Israel, which is the promised land, Moses is saying, remember the Alamo. Give your life. Remember, commemorate what God has done for you through the lamb, eating the Passover. For 40 years, they ate it. Remember, 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 remember. And as Christians today, what does God say to us? We're constantly called to commemorate or remember God's deliverance of us through the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, remember, remember, remember. The cross is our Passover. Christ is our sacrificial lamb. And we find our new identity in him. Our personal calendars begin on this day. We must daily remember it. Every day you wake up, you remember. You remember. 
Jesus, before my, my legs get off the bed and they hit the ground, Jesus, I'm saved. I'm your son. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what time in the morning it is. I don't care what challenges I have. My identity is in you. So we remember. And next, read this quote here from the notes. The Passover meal foreshadows communion. In two weeks, we're going to be celebrating communion. We normally celebrate it the third Sunday of each month. The Passover meal foreshadows communion. At communion, we remember why God passed over sins. And the answer to why he passed over our sins is that he did not pass over his son. At the cross, God's mercy and judgment, they meet. When Dan Rogers, who was playing Christ in our Easter production, hung on that cross right here, it was the symbol of God's judgment coming wham, and we deserve that judgment, but Christ took it for us, and he crucified his son, and he poured his wrath on his son, and God's mercy coming and saying, here, I give you what you don't deserve. What a place. We're to commemorate that. We're to commemorate that for mercy for those who do not deserve it, and judgment for the Lamb of God who takes our sins. Now, As we commemorate what God has done to deliver us, we must also consecrate ourselves to God. In chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, God commands his people to consecrate themselves to him. See, God is saying this, I own everything, therefore you must consecrate yourself to me. Now let me explain something to you first. In Israel... And I'm not reading the quote yet in the, in the, in the notes. Just, if you want to look at me for a second. In Israel, the firstborn males of all the clean animals were to be set apart for sacrifice to the Lord. They belonged to God. Therefore, the Israelites could not use the, most, the firstborn of any animal. They had to consecrate those animals for God's use. They were to be set apart for sacrifice to God. Now, you're a good Jew. And the firstborn ox, you really need that ox. you got land that needs to be plowed. And God says, no, 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 no. Set it apart. But it's my ox, Lord. Firstborn of all the clean animals, lambs, all of them. I might have gotten oxen in the wrong place, but the firstborn of the unclean ones as well, okay? I was about to get to that. I'm not sure if the ox were clean or unclean. Lambs certainly were. You had to set it aside. You can't shear that lamb. You cannot shear that lamb for wool. So you have, you have 60 lambs born, and that year, 40 of them happen to be firstborn. Ah, oh, God won't notice. <laughs> okay, it is the firstborn lamb there, but oh, God won't notice. You can't shear that lamb. You're kidding me. It's mine. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now, reading from the notes. By the way, one had to have a lot of faith to do that, didn't they? By the way, if you were a good Jew, you didn't work on Sunday. For them, it was Saturday. And I believe one year out of seven, you had to let the land lay a Sabbath. So your pagan neighbor is working, making money on Sunday, and you're trusting God not working on Sunday. Because you know what you're saying when you do that? I trust you, Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. By the way, that's where the idea of tithing comes from. You give God the best off the top, not off the bottom. Reading from your notes. The firstborn sons of the Israelites belong to God. Now, this is the part where this thing goes hyperspace right now. 
They must be redeemed. You take the firstborn lamb to redeem the firstborn son. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, let's read. They must be redeemed. A price had to be paid for them to buy back their lives. But why were the firstborn lambs and bulls always set apart for sacrifice? Why did the firstborn donkeys and camels have to be bought back with a price as well? Didn't these animals belong to the Israelites? No. They belong to God. And don't ever forget that. So every year you commemorate through the Passover and every firstborn you set aside for either sacrifice or to be redeemed. We belong to God. Next paragraph. By virtue of creation. See, this is what most people miss. Most people think they're independent agents. They're free agents. You're not. You belong to God by virtue of creation. And a price had to be paid to buy us back to him because we all rebelled. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection paid the price of our redemption back to the Father. Jesus took the wrath of God we so richly deserved so that we might be delivered from death and hell. Since Jesus paid that price for us, we are no longer to live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. This is what the scripture means in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, when it says, for the love of God controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. God saved us. Just listen to me for a moment. I'm departing now from, I'm not quoting anymore from the notes. God saved us for himself so that we might consecrate ourselves to him. He bought us back. Listen, Israel was constituted to give us a picture over several thousand years of the truth that Jesus would fulfill. Don't you get that? All this elaborate sacrifice, all this elaborate system, all this counting of which, is that the firstborn? Honey, now, is that the firstborn there? No, I'm not sure. Let's mark that one. Let's, let's be careful. It was because Jesus would come one day and redeem us all. Redeem us all. Those that he has called to himself. And I tell you this, dear friends, the fruit of commemorating God's deliverance is consecrating oneself to God's direction for our lives. It is what is spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Hey, I have been bought with a price. They're no longer, I don't have the right over my body. It's not mine anymore. It's one of the key arguments I believe in the, in the whole abortion issue. It's not your body. You do not have the right to do with it as you please. It is God's, redeemed by Jesus, if you are a Christian. The sign of Christian covenant, circumcision in the Old Testament, rebirth and circumcision of the heart in the New Testament, is one of total consecration to God. Anything less is sub-Christian. It indicates that you might be playing games with God. However, God does not play games. You cannot preserve yourself, live for yourself, and serve the Lord. God is not a good luck charm you hang around your neck. He's not your buddy. He's not your co-pilot. So, how do we commemorate God's deliverance and consecrate ourselves to him? Again, for some of you today, Before you can commemorate God's deliverance in Christ, you first must participate in it. I beg you, run to the Lord. The death angel's going by. 
people are screaming out in horror. Most people fear death. You've got a place to run that's safe. You've got a Passover meal to eat. Today it's called communion. But you must bow your knee and repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord. I pray you do that. Because Christ's blood is the only thing that will deliver you from God's wrath. And that's what you need to really fear. Not a recession or a terrorist attack, but facing God. Reading from the application section of your notes. We commemorate God's deliverance by remembering Christ's ransom. Church, I must preach the gospel to myself every day. Here are two verses to sample the gospel. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as what? A ransom for many. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Oh yes, that feudal way is that we inherited from Adam. It's called sin. We were ransomed from these feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. You can't buy your redemption from God. No, but with the precious blood of Christ, like what? Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hallelujah. Revelation tells us that in the last day, it's the lamb who was slain, who's on the throne, seated there, who can open the scrolls. It's the lamb who was slain, a lamb, mind you, from whom the roughest, toughest cage-fighting kings and, and mean guys and tough guys and dictators and, 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 and men that are just horrible will flee like little babies and run and hide in the caves. And it's that lamb before whom you will stand. that lamb before whom you will stand we all must remember this we must commemorate the cross because apart because apart from that listen to me here here's where this sermon is coming right at you at 100 miles an hour don't get out of the way it'll be it'll hurt a little at the beginning but then it'll be wonderful you ready here it comes you ready for application if you do not commemorate the cross daily then you will be offended by suffering I don't want you to be surprised by suffering. I don't want you to be offended by it. You are going to be offended. You are going to suffer in this earth. We're going to get to this later. But what we need at that moment, we need to have eternity just stamped on our eyes. Boom, boom. Jonathan Edwards say that. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. Because we all are chronically nearsighted. I'm really nearsighted. Like, I could barely see you guys right there. And forget about you guys back there. And I'm so chronically nearsighted. But when I have the gospel that I commemorate every day, I put the glasses on, and I see you. I see your detail. We've got temporality stamped on our hearts by the fall. We live for what is not important today. Honey, let's go get that big screen plasma TV. You got the credit card? Shook. We're idiots. We don't realize that in a month we're going to get the bill. $5,844? Ah. <laughs> Far greater in the spirit. We've got to have eternity stamped on our eyes. That's a fight every day. And the way you do it is you commemorate the gospel. Okay? Next, point two in application. We consecrate ourselves to God 
by dying to our rights in order to live for him who died for us. If I had rockets I could fire at you right now, I would, okay? <laughs> Listen, you're dying to something, okay? But what you're dying to is temporal. It's idiocy. You know it, I know it. It's going to kill you anyways. It was slowly killing you before God saved you, and it will kill you, but somehow sin is temporary insanity, and we think that the things of this world is more, are more valuable than the things of God. That's why commemoration is so important. But when we commemorate properly, when we see clearly, we get the gospel glasses on our heads, then we consecrate and say, no, thank you. I'm going to consecrate, set myself aside to this. This is better than that. But every day the world lies and says, no, that's better than this. No, no, this is better than that. No, that's better than this. Shut up. This is better than that. But every day, this is why we say to you, don't listen to yourself so much. Talk to yourself. Yes, in this church you can talk to yourself. Just be careful when you go out, okay? Don't listen to what your brain's telling you. You tell your brain what Scripture says. That's right. That's right. So, question that I have under point two. In light of particularly 2 Corinthians passage, we live for him who died for us, how can we stand beside the cross and insist on our rights? You see, most of us, we heroically want to be at the Alamo. Yes, Colonel Travis, I will die for you. Let's die for the gospel. Cool. No, honey, I will not take the garbage out. ESPN Sports Center, top highlights of the week are about on. Where's, tr- where's Colonel Travis then, Jack? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was waiting for that. Thank you. Every day I have the opportunity to die to something, and typically it's my selfish desire. To serve me. And God says, no, no, no. Remember, commemorate the gospel, and now go consecrate. You no longer live for yourself, but you live for him who died for me. And he who died for you says, love your wife by taking out the garbage. Turn off the TV and talk to her. There she is. See her face? It wants to be talked to. She has 40,000 words that she has yet to expend today. You will be the recipient of all those words. Go now. I will not die. We're like the guy, okay? We're like the guy. Tra- Colonel Travis, a.k.a. the Lord, goes, who will die? And we're like, <laughs> we're gone. You know, it was pretty funny. We know this happened because one guy left, and he told everybody what happened. The other 188 died. Oh, don't be cowards. More importantly, guys, and now I'm, this is very serious. Read this scripture with me silently. I'm going to read it out loud in your notes. You cannot be a Christian and live a life where you constantly don't die to self. Listen to what Matthew 16, 24 to 27 says. Actually, listen to what Jesus says. And then Jesus told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, this is, John, this is Travis drawing the line in the sand with the sword. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh my. Oh my. You want to be a Christian? That's what it means to be a Christian. Your life will not be easier. It will be harder. 
You want to be a Christian? You enlist in the army. You want to be a Christian? Get off the cruise ship, go across the port, and get on a working freighter where you're going to eat bad food and work 12 hours a day and sleep on a hard mattress. Get off the cruise ship, princess or Norwegian, whatever, and go across the... If you've ever been to the port, you've got one side the cruise ships, one side the, the, the freight ships. Go get on the freight ship. Go work. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. And I do it because I remember that I should be dead. Roasting in hell. I remember, I commemorate, therefore I consecrate. This is what Jesus said. Jesus would offend everybody today if he were here. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We live in a culture that's constantly trying to save its life and they're miserable. We need to be counter-American culture, counter-American dream. We need to be pro-kingdom dream and say, me, me, I want to be the first to die. I want to take the garbage out. I want to serve at 7.30 in the morning without anybody knowing at Palm Vista. I want to, I want to serve others by not participating in gossip about them tomorrow at the lunch break. I want to serve by not responding to the guy that just flipped me off in traffic the way I want to, but I'm going to die to that and respond the way the Lord wants me to. That is what Jesus is saying. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and you get the house you want and the car you want and the clothes you want and the friends you want and you forfeit your life? Wake up, nearsighted one. <laughs> get the gospel glasses on. That's what Jesus is saying here. Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come. The bill is coming and his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Mark it down. The bill is coming in the mail a month later. In our case, we can't put a specific time. It will be either when you die or when Christ comes back. So the question is whether we are daily losing our life for the sake of Christ, or are we seeking to save our life for our own sake? Oh, write that down. Whether you are daily, whether you are daily, this is application time, folks. Lean forward, press in. Come on, we're on the freighter. We're working together. Get the mind going. You're not being entertained today. This isn't cruise ship. This is freighter. So the question is whether we're daily losing our life for the sake of Christ or seeking to save our lives for our own sake. Are you daily losing your life for the sake of Christ? Or are you seeking to save your life for your own sake? You can do that as a Christian. You don't have to be a pagan. You can try to save your life in religious ways with religious garb. Just ask those around you. Is your lifestyle marked by self-introspection and all my sin and the church and me? and uh, uh, Or is it just like glorious Christ? How can I serve? It doesn't have to be about me. That's why the subtitle of this message is Christ-centered living in a self-centered world. Can I ask you a question? What's the only reason that Christ would say to us to take up our cross? Who are carrying crosses? People that are about to die. You want to follow Jesus? You pick up your cross and die. (laughs) Now here's the neat thing. When you do that, guess what you participate in? Not only his death, but what? His resurrection. But you've got to have faith to see that. And it might not be tomorrow. <laughs> okay? 
The only reason people pick up crosses is to go die. This challenges our instinct to live for ourselves, to live for our ease, our safety, our prosperity, our comfort. Christ says, Al, pick up your cross and Al, follow me into my mission on earth where you will have to give up your rights to ease and safety and prosperity and cultural comfortability. He says, give up your life for the gospel and you will find it. Do it all for the gospel, perhaps even losing all. And for some of you, it may be losing your life for the gospel and you will find that, that you will gain that which is of, of eternal worth. The world can never offer, can never take it away from you. You'll be blessed both now and in eternity. So, reading from the notes, second question under that point. What right would God be calling you to give up for the sake of advancing the gospel? What rights would God be calling you to give up for the sake of advancing the gospel? You see, the world fights to protect its rights, and God calls us to give up our rights. Which are you, worldly or godly? Do you fight to protect your right to be understood? To be treated properly? You can't treat me that way. (laughs) Do you fight to protect your right for ease? Do you fight to protect your right for safety? Do you fight to protect your right for prosperity? Do you fight to protect your right for cultural comfortability, which is also known as racism, arrogant racism? When we do, we do not live like Christians, but like pagans. And we fail to see eternity so clearly. And when we fail to see eternity clearly, we hold on to this earth and its rewards far too tightly. I'm going to slow down here. The translator is very appreciative right now. She's saying amen. And I'm going to try to look you in the eyes while I'm reading some of my notes because I, I, I spent some time writing this so I wouldn't go off. <laughs> some of you think that's not going off. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I am sharing again the following because I don't want you to dishonor the Lord by being surprised or offended by suffering. Because when we get surprised or offended by suffering, you know what starts happening to us? We start having doubt and unbelief. And you know how you can tell when you have doubt and unbelief? When you start complaining. We're going to learn this from Israel later in Exodus. So, I want you to jot down a few scriptures. And I want you to review these scriptures later. And men... In the back, this is now your moment to shine. Because momentarily, the first of those scriptures is going to come up on the board. What are these scriptures, you ask? These are scriptures to help you not be surprised by suffering. So, drum roll please. The first one, John 15.20. John 15.20 says the following. Just jot down the reference, not the whole scripture. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Let's go to John 16.33. John 16.33. Are we doing well? Are the right scriptures being shown? Great. That's always a good thing. John 16.33. Jesus again saying, 
speaking. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Acts 14, verse 22. Acts 14, verse 22. Says the following. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we, shall en- we must enter the kingdom of God. All right? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Read this in my quiet time this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's, uh, I'm not sure what I got up there. Well, we'll start, probably start with verse 1. I don't think I start with verse 1. That's fine. You just keep that there. We'll catch up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. Verse 2. Here we go. There we go. And we sent Timothy, all right, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For what? For afflictions. This is what we've been called to, friends. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter. Write these down so you can read them later. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 20b and 21. So I'm not sure. I'm just going for 20b and 21. So if we can get those up there, that'd be great. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 B and 21 say the following. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. All right, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, All right. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten or complain, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. Does this sound familiar? And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Oh, dear friends, God's burden here is to see and apply this passage in Exodus to our situation in South Florida. So that when many folks are complaining about how expensive, how unsafe, how these crazy Cubans are, and I'm Cuban so I can say that, okay? And just fill in crazy with whatever you don't like, which is probably everything but what you are, okay? (laughs) How bad it is here. And we say, like many are saying, I'm out of here. I'm moving. I'm going to go survive and raise my kids in a better place. Have you ever noticed when people make that decision, they start complaining immediately? Whether at work, whether sometimes in the church. I want to challenge that thinking. Folks, we're to die. We're to die to our right to safety and cultural comfortability. We're to die to our right to prosperity. It is not your birthright to have the American dream. Your birthright is heaven. I want to highlight 
I'm not going to give you their names, but there are two families in this church that have lived this. One is a very young couple, and one is an older couple that has been here many years. And I personally know that especially with the younger family, they have purposely suffered financially and with tears in their eyes when they said to me, because of educational and because of, of business, uh, a calling for vocational issues, we, we are going to move to another Sovereign Grace Church. They wept openly and they have poured out their lives into this church and i said every dime of debt that you incurred because of here god sees and god will bless and in all eternity you're going to have an incredible reward and the other family just coming to a culture that's not theirs talk about dying to cultural comfortability and staying even longer than initially we had talked about and thought about the lord would have them here and laying their lives down. In fact, just look around you. Anybody that's here, that's leaning forward, that's joyous, that says, this is my mission field. I live for God. I don't live for some dream that some culture gives me. I live for a kingdom dream. You look around. This place is filled with heroes who say, remember the Alamo. Colonel Travis, count me in. I'm stepping in. It is a privilege to serve with you. See, folks... If God is calling us to take up our cross and give up everything, and he's calling us to lose our life for his sake to advance the gospel, how can we, in any, how can we possibly share the gospel message about a Savior who came to die and give himself for us while living a self-preserving, self-centered life? Your message won't ring true. If we let our mouths complain about all the stuff I just mentioned in South Florida, we are dishonoring God. We are like Israel in the wilderness. Blah, 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 blah. And they forgot that God passed over them and the blood of Jesus saved their firstborn boys. And they forgot that God put them through the water and crushed Egypt. And so they get in the desert and the first place they go, the water's bitter and they complain. May we not forget what Christ did for us. So that when we do, and it is a bitter place. I don't have time to go through the stories, but you know them. South Florida is the only place that you can be at a stoplight. And you think you're at a drag race. You know, Ray, it's like the trees coming down. Red, a little bit less red, 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 yellow, green. If you don't slam your gas pedal down, go forward as fast as you can. One nanosecond later, beep. Come on, buddy. And I always, because I'm such a godly guy, I just go fast and never, no, I, I, I've never, ever slowed down on purpose when a guy does that to me. I promise you. Desi, Desi will go, she'll just turn to me and go, Al, stop it, I know what you're doing. What, honey? Gas is expensive. Zero to 40 miles an hour in two minutes. It's going to save on gas, right, Tim? Okay, can I just say, when I do that, I'm not dying to self. South Florida is the, the fraud capital, probably, of the nation. One of them. John Enzor told us it's one of the abortion capitals of the nation. Why do you think he came here first? He's going to L.A. next. You know what John told me? I'll tell you a little secret. We had lunch. Th- those of you who are visiting, John Enzor works for Heartbeat International and opens up crisis pregnancy centers and cares for women that are just 
in crisis because of unwanted pregnancies and their boyfriends or husbands. And it's an amazing work. Many of our folks work in this, and it's just incredible. He looked at me over lunch last week, and he said, Al, if I had a Palm Vista in New York City and in L.A., we could shut down this abortion thing. He said that. I don't know if I would agree to that extent. But what is he saying? We're nothing, guys. Look around. We don't even have our own building, for goodness sakes. But you know what you guys are? You guys, you guys are at the Alamo, man. And you've walked across that line. You said, I'm giving my life for this. And that's powerful because that's what Jesus did. It's not about our comfort and safety and comfortability. It's about Christ. So when we commemorate, then we consecrate. God wants you to hear him say that if you will lose your life for his sake, then he will give you a true life. He wants you to know that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he wants you to know that South Florida is not hell. <laughs> but, but even if it were, that he is greater than that and that he will build his church here. He wants you to know that there is a spirit of this age and a spirit of this world right now in South Florida that says, save your life, get out, go to where it's cheaper, safer, and nicer, but that he calls us to give our lives for the gospel and the church. He wants you to know that he will care for you. He will give you an eternal reward. He wants you to resist the spirit of the world and embrace the spirit of God, which is generous, self-sacrificing, and faithful. You know why we all like movies like the Alamo? Because there's something that rings in us in the image of God when there's heroic sacrifice for something other than me. There's something in man that resonates with that. Because it's God. Our life now should make no sense if there is no heaven. We are called to suffer now in faith because our home is in heaven and it's secure. We are not called to ease and safety and prosperity on this earth. Our, this earth is not our home. Don't look for a retirement home here. We have a much better one there in eternity, one that Christ is preparing for us. Henry C. Morrison was a great missionary who served the Lord in Africa for over 40 years. On the way back to the United States, he began to wonder, quote, will anyone remember us? Will anyone recall who we are? Will anyone meet us at the boat? Unquote. Well, unknown to Henry Morrison and his wife, Teddy Roosevelt, the president of the United States, was also on that ship. Teddy Roosevelt had, had been in Africa on a hunting trip. When the ship pulled into New York Harbor, Henry Morrison looked and he saw a great throng of people, bands playing, signs saying, welcome home. Henry and his wife were so excited about the crowds of people that were there to welcome them home. They hurried downstairs, waited in line, got their luggage, and then when they came, deckside, they realized the bands were gone. The banners were taken down. Those people were there to welcome home Teddy Roosevelt. Henry Morrison trudged to his hotel room with a heavy heart. As he sat there on the bed, he asked his wife, Honey, I just don't get it. For 40 years, we poured our lives into ministry and service, and yet we come back to America, and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife came and sat down next to her husband, put her hand on his shoulder, and comforted him with words that he would never forget. 
Henry, you have forgotten something. You're not home yet. And may that be a comfort to you. It does not matter what takes place in this life. Your reward is in heaven. And always remember, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. So where is your true home in your heart, the home you really live for? Is it here or in heaven? At this point, I would like to invite the worship team to come up quickly and quietly. We're going to sing actually two songs. We're going to start with, That I Might Gain Christ. And then we're going to sing, Oh, the Wondrous Cross. Verse 2 of That I Might Gain Christ says the following. If we can put verse 2 of That I Might Gain Christ up, that would be great. Verse 2, if that's possible. Verse 2, I believe. Oh, excuse me, chorus. I'm sorry, the chorus. says the following. That I might gain Christ, that I might know you, that I might find life. Help me lose what I must lose, that I might gain Christ. Folks, what do you need to lose in order to gain what really matters? What do you need to lose in order to gain Christ? What has latched itself onto you and your mind and your rights and what you think you deserve that you need to die to? Get up on that cross and die. Take it. What do you need to die to? What do you need to lose? Let me tell you, there's something far better that awaits you on the other side of death and the cross and the grave. You know what it is? Christ. Eternity. You'll never be sorry for that. You'll never be sorry for that. So what I'd like to do Prior to praying the prayer you find in your notes there, and don't worry about looking at it, you can read it later. But prior to praying, what I want to do is I want to take two songs and I want to sing them to the Lord. Look, I know we've gone a little over, and my message is a lot longer than normal. I mean, I'm coming up on an hour. I just think this is the Lord, all right? (laughs) Maybe the medium is part of the message. Can you die to your desire to get up out of that chair and go eat? (laughs) Uh, But let's not lose the momentum of the Spirit here. Some of you are are living for things that are going to kill you. They're killing you very softly and quietly right now. They're killing your passion for the Savior. It could be your own right to be right. It could be your desire to have your husband or wife do what you want them to do. It could be desire to be respected. It could be money. For most of us, it's security and money. Lord, just take me somewhere where I don't have to pray every day to be able to pay my mortgage. (laughs) Just take me to a place where, you know, My insurance bill doesn't go up $400 a month every other year. I don't have to trust you quite as obviously. A place where I don't have to worry about my kids getting like murdered if they go to the post office box or they go check the mail. Are those things bad? No, they're not. But we don't, this isn't home. You'll have that one day. You know that? No more tears, no more sorrow. Perfect weather. No more sunburn. (laughs) You'll have that one day. But not today. So die to it. I don't say this in a rebuke. I say it because I have to die to it every day. Every day. I have to remember what Jesus did for me. And then consecrate myself to it.